Welcome to Sense and Sensitivity. I am Hannah Stella with my co-host. Cece Shia. Hello, hello. And this week we are talking about New York again, because that's the theme of our season. And specifically we're talking about a cover story from New York Magazine that came out that talked to young New Yorkers, young upwardly mobile New Yorkers about their dream lives and then calculated how much they would cost. And we're going to talk about the cost of those lives, whether we think it's accurate or inaccurate and just what we think of them. And then we sort of drew up our own. So we'll see how it goes. But Cece, how was your weekend? It was good. It was Memorial Day weekend. So I think it was beautiful weather in New York. And I just went to like a series of picnics and dinners. And it was honestly just like a perfect Memorial Day weekend where it wasn't where you had to do too much, but you also had enough stuff to feel like you had a pretty full social life. So a lot of Prospect Park and Prospect Park was like popping of course, because it was Memorial Day and, you know, some barbecues and all of that. How about you? How was decorating your apartment? It was good. I bought a dining table at a furniture auction and I bought a couch and neither of them are here and I don't know when they're coming, but otherwise it was good. I was a ghost, an absolute ghost. I ghosted four people and that's story. Like dates or like? Dates. Like, I know that that's bad, but I was like, oh, maybe it would be fun to like go on a date casually. And the apps were just very overwhelming for me. And whenever somebody's like, give me your number, I'm like, okay, I guess so. And then they get so angry when you cancel. So then I started canceling. I don't know if it counts as ghosting. Started sending them a text canceling and then blocking their number on my laptop and my phone as soon as I sent it. You didn't wait for a response. You were just like, I have to cancel. I can't go. Have you ever canceled on a man? I actually may not really have. Okay. So, <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes, so I did like, if I got a vibe that they weren't crazy, I would wait for a response. One, I waited for a response and he was very nice. And he said like, that's fine. I understand. And the others, I just have had, I could just tell that they were like, maybe a little, I don't know. They were just really overwhelming. Overwhelming How? They were like trying to make plans. And I was like, I think that for me, which is sort of the opposite of my previous approach to dating, which maybe means that I shouldn't be dating right now, which I am not. They were like, they kept trying to plan just too much. I was like, you are a stranger. I don't want to spend from like 5 p.m. to midnight with you. And then they would get buried. They'd be like, how many other guys are you talking to? And I was like, 800. Like, I <laughs> I don't know. It's a dating app. Like, what are you talking about? It was just too much for me. And I don't know. Men can get very territorial. And sometimes when you cancel on them, they say mean things to you. And I'm very fragile. And so I didn't want anybody to say mean things to me. I mean, that is completely fair. But I'm also like, yeah, it's a dating app. How many other people are you talking to, dude? I assume like dozens or hundreds. And they're like, sometimes if you are like, oh, sorry, I can't do Wednesday plans with a friend. They're like a friend or another date. And it's like, what do you care if it's another date? Like, oh, anyway, I'm not going on any more dates for a while because they're just, I'm just like, oh, like everybody says it. People are so misogynistic also because like, like texting these guys, right? Or like dating app texting them. And everybody's like, women are obsessed with settling down. Men, I don't know what is in the water in New York City right now, but they are obsessed with settling down. 
they're like, oh, so you've been traveling, so you're ready to like settle down. How many kids? Four different men asked me how many kids I want and if I think that I'll want to have kids in like the next two years. Oh my God. Okay. I feel like because I've been like off of dating apps for so long, I don't really know what the questions are that people ask these days, but that is horrendous. Like (laughs) crazy. This one guy, I think this happened maybe, I don't know exactly when, but this one guy like lost his mind because I said that I was Hannah from Hinge, but I was Hannah from Bumble. And he was like, you owe me like a serious apology. And I was like, I'm not going to apologize to you for that. And he lost it, lost it. Because you said another dating app, like what's the difference? I mean, I know like the general platform differences, but like what's the difference to him? I think they're the same. I think it is all the same people and all of the same. I think his concern was that I was like all over the apps. I did go on one. I went on two actual dates like since I've been back. Neither one was for me. I was like, well, immediately. But on one of them, this guy, he was like 40. He was like 40 and he had like a place in New York and a place in LA. And he was talking about how he's like really worried that women like only want to go, they just want a free dinner. And I was like, I mean, okay, like, why are we talking about this on the date? Like, do you want me to pay for dinner? Like, I don't know. I was like, you were much smaller than you looked in your pictures. (laughs) I didn't say that. And then the other guy, I've been on a steroid. I've also been a little like losing weight, whatever. I've been on a steroid and I was really puffy. I kind of deep puffed, but I I've been working out, but also like I was taking a steroid and whatever. I was like kind of puffy and I sort of like mentioned it in passing. And he was like, yeah, women are always way heavier than their pictures. Oh, oh my God. I know. No, red flag, (laughs) immediate bye. I was like, okay. I mean, you are, I was like, why have you never been married? Because you're 43. I mean, it's obvious why he's never been married. Combative. I am so combative right now and I'm just I think that it's like I've been trying to do some work and I think that it's where I've been finishing my book proposal for my memoir and kind of the structure and writing some of the like heavier parts of it and I think it's just actually not the kind of I I suppose it's not a job because it's not sold yet but it's not the kind of perspective job that I can have while I'm dating and then I also think that maybe this is just because I want to be single but I'm going through something where I just, I just think everybody is lame. Like I just, guys tell me about like, oh, they're like, I am going on this trip. And I'm like, I've done that trip. (laughs) Which is not cute and not how I want to feel. But anyway, I'm not dating and I'm I'm ghosting everybody. I'm an absolute menace. Hannah, the ghost era. It's an act of feminism. Are you on Sprinkle Sprinkle TikTok? What is Sprinkle Sprinkle TikTok? I am not. Okay. Oh, God. Should I be ready? I feel like your face right now. Yeah. It's this. I am on team that she's joking. I'm on team that this is her life, but also that she's joking. This YouTuber called Shira Seven, and people started posting clips of her. And she gives dating advice. Also, if you don't want this to be your whole for you page, do not look it up. Because I looked it up because somebody sent me something about it. And now it is my whole for you page. It won't go away. But she gives dating advice that is basically based on like men use women. And so 
you should find an ugly rich dude and just use him. And her advice is some of it's actually like not in that sense, but some of it's actually good advice. Like she was giving advice about parenting in one of the clips that I saw. And she was sort of saying like your kids are not your employees. And so you shouldn't use your kids like your older kids to babysit without paying them or like just because they were born first, they shouldn't have the majority of the responsibilities in the family. I know that's not everybody's parenting philosophy, but I don't think it's not bad advice. It's not so for contrast, another of her pieces of advice was somebody wrote into her and said, my fiance won't marry me unless we sign a prenup. And she said, you know what to do. What does that mean? I don't know what to do. Well, I could give you 10,000 guesses and you wouldn't guess this because she said, go to the doctor, get some pills. On the day you sign the prenup, take all the pills on Instagram so that it's established that you're not of sound mind. And then if you ever get divorced, you can just get the prenup invalid. So in comparison, that the kid thing was perfect advice. But she's like, Joe, I think she's like, she's so funny. I mean, she says like the funniest stuff. And sometimes there's like a kernel of truth to it. Like she said, if a guy has a drinking problem, this part, when I get to the end, you'll know the part that's like a kernel of truth. She was like, if a guy has a drinking problem, just take advantage of him. And whenever he's really drunk, be like, oh, like, do you want to go shopping online and like use this card to buy stuff for yourself, which is like not a nice thing to do. But then she goes, yeah, I mean, imagine like, if you were drunk all the time and you were dating a guy, he would probably take advantage of you. And so take advantage of him. And I was like, you know what? She's kind of right. A lot of men take advantage of drunk women. And so I don't know if the solution, but there's like a kernel of something, not really the advice, but the societal awareness, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what was he wearing though? Like what were his shoes and his pants? Because I think that really determines whether or not you should take advantage of his credit card. Laura Piana. <laughs> exactly. Then you are free to do it. Then he was asking for it. Like why else was he wearing that? Yeah, no, I think sometimes like I never quite know like the bits that seem horrifying if they are just characters because comedy and satire are really entrenched and stuff like that. Like there does seem to be an awareness of society and some sort of commentary by making everyone mad, which is a thing. It is a thing to do. I just like wonder, will she ever come out and be like, this is... I don't think so. And I will tell you, she's not making people mad. People are like my queen. They're like, this woman raised me. Like, I wish you were my mom. People are not mad. I mean, I'm sure some people are mad, but the feedback is not anger. Also, I don't think anybody ever can tell when women are kidding. Every single time I've made a joke, people are... One time I said that my house in New York was $30 million. And I still get DMs sometimes asking me, like, how I was able to get a $30 million house in my 20s. To me, that was so obviously a joke. Yeah. No, I made a TikTok once and, like, I knew people would take it the wrong way. So I put in the caption, satire, all caps, as the first word. And people were still so mad about it. And I was like, I don't know how to, like, lead you to water any more than what I did. Like, it's in the caption. It's all caps. It is a joke. Whenever I do satire, I make the caption or say in the video that nothing I say is a joke and that I've never made a joke. <laughs> and then people are like, wow, Hannah, always so serious. No, I think people just don't understand like what women sound like when they're funny because they just don't think of women as funny. And that's like a whole separate issue. Yeah, it's a big thing. I've been yelling about this for years. People will comment and they'll be like, oh my God, this TikTok is so funny without trying to be. And I'm like, 
it's like literally a stand-up comedy routine. I mean, not, not actually, but like, this is a woman, she was very funny and she was also trying to be like, how stupid do you think women are? And the answer is very. Yes, we're the dumbest, which is why we have such unreasonable expectations for our futures in New York. Well, yeah, let's get into talking about this article. So yeah, it's the New York Magazine piece. I think the headline was, how much is that lifestyle in the window, which I loved because I love looking into windows in New York and San Francisco and really like any windows whatsoever. When I was younger, I had like this genius idea for an app. It was like Google Maps, except you know how when you zoom in, you could zoom in past people's roofs and see their houses. And I was like, I would pay for this app. It's actually really creepy, so it'll never get made. But let it be known, when I was eight years old, like this was the app of my dreams. I just wanted to look into everyone's houses. There is a photographer in New York who photographs people without them knowing in their apartments. Wait, that's a privacy violation. It's legal. It went into like, I mean, you would know the actual like legal legal part of it, but people sued him and he won because it's like you don't have an expectation of privacy when you can be seen from the street. Oh, so he did it from the street. He did it from the street. Yeah. Yeah. That is unfortunately kind of where the law lies, but it's an ethical violation of privacy, I would say, into like today's day and era. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. And I do, I mean, I don't know. I haven't actually seen the photographs, but I don't think that they were like pornographic, but still, I don't think people want to be in an art exhibit when they thought they were making dinner. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you'd realize that people might walk by and look in, you don't consent really. It's like degrees of consent, right? Mm -hmm. No, exactly. Exactly. Actually, my first like few weeks of college, I lived in, I went into this in another podcast, but I lived in this one dorm and you could see Duke Law lived right behind us. And he had outdoor space and he would go work out and we could watch him work out. And then people who lived in the same dorm, but like the floor below, sold the pictures to like some paparazzi and then he stopped doing it. Well, yeah, because again. Fair enough. <laughs> but I was more like, why would you sell that? Why wouldn't you just let this be our like NYU freshman girls and gays bonding? I know we shouldn't have been watching it, but whatever. But like watching, he's like out there. I don't know. I think that is a lot more acceptable than taking a photo and selling it to TMZ and ruining it for everyone, including Jude Law. Yes. And this was post shower grower gate. Do you remember that? I actually don't. Did we actually see this for Jude Law? Yeah. Jude Law was photographed when he was with Sienna Miller. I don't know why I remember this, but he was photographed on a balcony somewhere naked. And I guess it looked like he was more in the pickle than eggplant category. And it turned into this big thing of like, well, you know, some men really are like a slinky. Yeah. Yeah. It gets larger. It's like the opposite of John Hamm, who shows and maybe grows, but also always shows. God, I hope he doesn't grow. <laughs> Okay. All right. So let's get into some of these profiles. So the first one was Aaliyah and the headline was Aaliyah wants a Brooklyn Heights brownstone, carefully maintained eyebrows and three children at Brooklyn Friends. And her life ended up costing 712329 per year after a one-time payment of $1.25 million because she wants like a brownstone in Brooklyn Heights, which is just so incredibly expensive. And all the brownstones are like five or six bedrooms. So they don't really make them smaller than that. So I think her house was like 
typically in that area, it's like eight to 12 million, but they found her something for 4.6 million. So what I thought was interesting about this was like, Aaliyah is exactly what I would have said when I was a corporate lawyer, right? And she is also a corporate lawyer about like where she wants to live, how many children she wants. Well, I kind of want to. I feel like three children is like too much. My theory is that if you have more children than adults and they take off running in the streets of New York, how do you decide which ones to run after? Like, what if you're outnumbered? Do you just like let one go? Everybody has a favorite. But then they'll know exactly. Everyone does have a favorite, but you don't usually tell them. But in that moment, if they all take off running. I mean, I think the real answer is unless you have triplets, in which case you just have to put them on a leash. Biological reality of like how close together you can have kids means that it's unlikely that you'll have more than two who are going to be runners at the same time. If you have them a more typically like not in a moralistic way, but a lot of people have kids like three years apart. So by the time one is running, they're like two. A five-year-old generally knows better. And if not, then that's Darwinism, baby. Exactly. So it's like the Hunger Games for our kids. We'll just see which ones like make it. So what I found like really interesting about what Aaliyah wants in terms of housing. So I've never really like been a super huge fan of brownstones just because I don't love houses. But I didn't realize their facade needs to be restored every year or not every year, but once every like 40 years. And it's like fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to restore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just like a crazy amount of housing maintenance upkeep that makes me want to cry. I think you even have to go through landmarks and get like the special permits because they're buildings over a certain age, and so it's also a big logistic. Like it's it's sort of a nightmare in that way because it's so annoying to deal with the city government. Yeah. So we'll talk about some of the other people later on, but it seems like everyone mostly wants to buy a house. Everyone wants to own property. I think there was only like one person who was okay with renting. And I was like, when I read even later on, there's like a woman who lives in Westchester or wants to live in Westchester. And it's like the property taxes, the mowing, the all of it makes me never want to own a house. Yeah. It's annoying. Owning a house is really annoying. And I'm like, why do people want to do it? And yeah, like Aaliyah also wants a car. A lot of these people interviewed wanted a car. And I was like, a car in New York? Yeah, I think it's nice to have a car. I think that the difference between me and a lot of these people is that like, if I, like, I would love to have a townhouse or a brownstone, but if I can't afford one, if I like wanted a car and wanted a brownstone and wanted all that stuff, like if I decided I wanted a car, if I couldn't have one with a curb cut and a garage, then I would be like, rather have an apartment. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't want my sort of, when you're spending so much money for me, I wouldn't want sort of my second choice. I don't think I would care about the curb cut in the car, but you know what I'm saying? Like, Nope. I feel ya. I feel ya. It's like all or nothing extremes or I am becoming a hermit in middle of nowhere, Montana, where TikTok is actually banned, I think. So that'll be, I don't know if the ban will actually be survive constitutional challenge, but they are the first state to pass that. So another interesting thing I thought about like Aaliyah's vision for the world is she wants to send all three of her kids to Brooklyn Friends, which is a private school and tuition is 56,100 a year. And on top of that, you also have to pay, well, I guess like donate to the endowment fund. And there's like a lot of pressure from the school and from like parents to donate to this. And another hidden cost, this article was saying, is you also just like have a lot 
of other kids there who will have lavish birthday parties, lavish events, going to like basketball games or this thing called like Urban Air Adventure Park, which is $849 to go to. And it includes like a VR experience, like decorations, three pizzas. And I don't even know what an Urban Air Adventure Park is, but it's like rich people Chuck E. Cheese is my understanding. (laughs) I think it's like a trampoline park. Why is a trampoline park $850? Like, someone please explain. Well, is it $850 to go or is that the price for a party? I think that's the price for a party. I feel like, okay, I might be really out of touch. I feel like that's a very good price for a children's party. I guess it depends for, for how many people. For a kid? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just totally wrong. But I would think, so it's probably two hours. It says it includes three pizzas and it's for kids, so probably... 12 kids, 12, 18 kids. I don't know. And then I guess you need like the cake and everything. Yeah, that's true. And cakes can get really expensive. That is very true. Yes. But then also like you can really choose your own adventure with cake pricing. Mm -hmm. Choose your own urban air adventure. Exactly. But yeah, I don't think that that to me is not the craziest expense that New York parents spend. Tuition or birthday parties? Birthday, an $850 birthday party. Okay. That seems very reasonable to me. Because even if you figure it's 10 kids, it's 85 bucks a kid, kid for two hours of playtime and like the pizza and the drinks and stuff. I mean, I know that's not cheap, but that doesn't seem crazy to me for what some stuff for kids cost. Like the tutor, the private school tutor is, or not private school tutor, but like the subject tutors, the good ones are like between $150 and $350 an hour. I guess in those terms, I'm just like, that's fine. Like, I know. I feel like this is where like my tiger parent upbringing is coming in because I'm like, tutor, yes, that it sounds good for education. A pizza party, that sounds too expensive. What do you mean $850 for a pizza party? But yeah, for like tutoring, I'm like, okay, just here's a blank check. Let's go. So my biases are showing for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody has priorities. Yeah. Okay. So last thing about Aaliyah that I thought was crazy is that she really likes her eyebrow lady, her eyebrow person. And she considered it to be like her biggest non-negotiable personal maintenance expense. And otherwise she was like, oh, you know, I'm pretty like low key when it comes to maintenance. And I don't know if you've like heard of this woman, but she charges like 250 a session for eyebrows. I actually also think that's crazy. I think that's crazy just in sort of the best place to get your eyebrows done in New York where they're going to look really good is actually just to find a really good walk-in threading place. Those women are so much better than any of the... I have gone, not to that woman, but I've gone to an expensive eyebrow person before, and they did an infinitely worse job. And so I think it's crazy because it's just, to me, such bad value. But I also think, like, if that's her indulgence that, like, makes her feel fancy, I would pick a different one, but... $250 a month when this is the budget for your brows is sort of fine. You go once a month, right? No. Well, okay. For her, she says twice annual visits to a preferred brow artist. And I was like, I go to my eyebrow lady like once every two weeks. It's like seven bucks. I pay her 10 bucks with tip and I go every two weeks. And I think that's like a normal, 
I don't know, maybe my eyebrow just like grows really fast, but I don't I know how you're going to like somewhere twice annually. I think that you have to be very committed to like as soon as something grows in, plucking it to maintain the shape. I go maybe like every four or six, I go whenever I am like, oh, I need to go do my eyebrows. So I probably should go more frequently. When I get them tinted, and I think I usually pay like 30 bucks with tip, I do like my lip and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what each one costs, like each thing, because I always do all of it. Yeah, I think my eyebrow threading seven, my lip thing is like five. So it comes out to like less than 20 bucks every time I go if I do everything. And this is like for a threading lady off the street who has like a little shop and she's just amazing. Like when the pandemic happened and they closed, I actually like wanted to cry and I tried to like DM her separately because I was like, my eyebrows are disgusting and I haven't gone anywhere in months. But it's mostly because I just have like man brows naturally. Like I got my dad's eyebrows and I look like my dad. I don't think that's true, but I also think it's best to have like the bushiest eyebrows imaginable naturally. And then you just pair it back 100%. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Audrey, who I thought had a pretty crazy vision for her life. She wants to have an Upper East Side apartment, a four-bedroom apartment with natural light and high ceilings, ideally on Park Madison or Fifth in the 70s or 80s, which is kind of like the hottest real estate in that area. Like the 70s and 80s along Central Park is where the law firm partners who were like two partner income, that's where they lived. Yeah, I think it's also one of those things. I'm on Audrey's side here. This is like the life that she wants. And for me, if I was going to live on an Upper East Side co-op and they were like, you have to live east of Lex, I'd be like, never mind. If I can't afford it, I can't afford it. But why would I pay 80% of the money or whatever it is to like almost do the thing. And then all of the other, I'm sorry, like people are snobby. That's what that community is. Whenever you choose to move up there, you're choosing to move into that community. And so why would you want to live in a place where everybody's like, Oh, like, do you know what I mean? I think it's one of those things where if you're going to buy a co-op on the Upper East Side, like, yeah, buy it on 75th and Madison. Yeah. 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 But also I know what you're saying. I guess I'm just saying, I thought this one was crazy because I think they just way underestimated the cost of this life. Yeah. So they said, okay, so one thing is she wants this apartment. She also wants a second house on Long Island and wants, you know, a full-time nanny, kind of wants a really nice life. And the quote was a childhood like hers on the Upper East Side. So I was like, all right, Audrey, I know exactly what your parents really kind of did for a living. But they estimated her annual cost to be only $521,934, which I agree. I was like, wait, how is this less than Aaliyah's? I think it's the school tuition part. But her one-time payment for her properties and everything else is over $2 million. So I think a lot of her costs were kind of like upfront rather than recurring. Yeah, I think that also what they didn't put in this article that I think if you're really trying to open a window into what those things cost is that the liquidity requirements for many of the prestigious co-op buildings on the Upper East Side require you to have between 10 and 40 times the purchase price and net worth. Oh, in net worth. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I don't, but yeah, a lot of them have like pretty high net worth requirements. Maybe five, maybe five times in net worth, but a lot of them require you to be able to pay cash for the apartment, even if they don't require you to make a cash down payment. God, that's kind of horrifying. 
I don't even know what, like the thought of liquidating that much money to buy an apartment all at once is like horrifying to me. But I also understand this is just like how it is in New York and co-ops, like they have a lot of power. They can do whatever they want. They can require whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, I think that the idea is it's so hard to like sell them because I talked to my shrink about this one time and sometimes you have like incredible maintenance costs that come up like to redo the facades and everything. It can be a really, it can be like, it depends, but it can be well into the six figures per apartment. And I think that the concern is they want these really high liquidity, well, net worth requirements. And when they say liquid, it, it can be in stocks or whatever, or other things that are maybe counting as liquid. I think that the concern is like, they don't want there to be an issue where there's like a 2008-esque crash and everybody in the building a lot of some of these buildings have very few apartments and very high expenses and I think that they don't want to run into an issue where then the building starts to sort of go under I'm not saying it's right I'm just saying I think that's the like reasoning behind it but the most egregious thing in this one to me was the second home on Long Island for $800,000 because you think that's just unrealistically cheap yeah that's not what she meant (laughs) she meant she wants a Hampton's house I think she said Long Island. The Hamptons are on Long Island. Oh, you think she was being like coy and being like, oh, I want summers on Long Island. And she actually meant, I want summers in the Hamptons. That's what I think. That's what everybody said. Whenever somebody says like, oh yeah, like I lived on Long Island or I lived out east in the summer. They mean in the Hamptons or in another like beach. There's a place called like Long Beach on Long Island. Like there are other sort of Tony enclaves on Long Island. But I don't think she wants like just a summer house in a Long Island's expensive. Like eight hundred thousand. I guess I didn't look at exactly what that would buy you, but I think an eight hundred thousand dollar house in Long Island would be like a normal middle class, upper middle class family home. And I can't imagine that that's what a twenty five year old woman who grew up on the Upper East Side wants as her second home. That seems like a very out of line aspiration to me. Yeah, no, you're right. I think, yeah, she does say, and we'd have a second home on Long Island, but doesn't specify, which probably does mean she is being coy about it. She also works at an investment firm and grew up on the Upper East Side. So it seems like one of those like coded ways of being like, this is what I actually want, but I'm going to say this because it sounds, I already sound too uppity. I have a hot take actually on this or not. I don't know if it's hot, but I don't think she was trying to not sound uppity. I think that she thought that it was perfectly clear what she was saying. Like, I don't think that she was trying to be coy. I think that she was like, oh, yeah, we'll get a house on Long Island. And she assumed, I think probably historically, that's about being coded. But I think at this point, a lot of the time when people say things like that, in my opinion, they they know you know exactly what they're saying. Mm -hmm. It's like the real estate version of I went to school in Boston. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think most people who went to Harvard who say that think that they're being coy. I think that that's just the language that you use to say you went to Harvard. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, Audrey. But um, I strongly suspect that she met a house in the Hamptons and that she assumed that the person interviewing her for this article knew that that meant a house in the Hamptons. I'm surprised that they did not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe they just wanted to put someone else at the less than a million a year range. I think that they wanted the Brooklyn brownstone to be the most expensive life Hmm. like for this article i think that they were trying to be like oh like no like you don't understand like the brooklynites 
I think they were kind of trying to highlight how Brooklyn's like the new Upper West Side in the sense that it's like, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just speaking my truth in the sense that it's like sort of everybody's like, oh, no, we're so unpretentious and we just like love to be like intellectual and we go to the co-op that it's like, no, this is just as over the top, perhaps not just as, but this is very expensive and very over the top. And I think that, that whoever wrote this article was trying to emphasize that and getting this like Upper East Side life under that life was helpful in that. And I don't think that's wrong. I just thought I think. No, no, no. I think that's probably totally right. Like we go into it expecting to see certain things and what we read kind of subverts that expectation, then we're more likely to talk about it. Because this is one of the articles that I went to a book launch for one of my friends last week. And people were talking about this article, like I was with my editor, and she was like, Have you read this yet? And I was like, No, I haven't. So it did what it was supposed to do, which is like, get us all talking about it. Yeah. So let's, you know, talk about Rachel a little bit. So she wants to live in Westchester in Bronx have an au pair and an annual trip to Florida to see her in-laws. And this one was actually, I I was like shocked by how reasonably priced this life was. A one-time payment of $359,000 and then annually $262,000. I just didn't really realize that Westchester would be cheaper in this way. In my head, like Westchester was always also a very expensive place to live and be the only difference being that it's not Manhattan. So you get like more space. But to be fair, a lot of people I know, I like I've actually never been up in Westchester. I only know people who live in Westchester. And they're usually like the law firm partners. Yeah, I think a lot of them moved there before or had reasons they wanted to be in the suburbs. But it's a lot less expensive to live in the suburbs than it is in Manhattan. And in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is also more expensive. And some people spend more, but you definitely can do it for less, if that makes sense. Like, I know a couple of people who've moved to Greenwich, and I know a couple of people who are from Greenwich, and some people move to Greenwich or live in Greenwich because, like, they want that lifestyle, and some people do it because they would rather have the Greenwich lifestyle than play sort of keeping up with the Joneses. You know, like, there are houses in those places that are, like, millions and millions of dollars, But you can also do it for, I mean, still millions, but not millions. But I think that that's not wrong. Like this article, I think the point of this was to say, like, I do think some of these are real underestimations, especially with Audrey's life. But I think in general, it's very fair if you're writing this article to write what you could get the life for if you're kind of searching for value rather than what sort of an over-the-top unlimited money version of the life looks like. Yeah, no, I agree. Because the next the other person I thought who was interesting was Charlotte. And she was the only one who wanted to rent in Park Slope. But she wanted a three-bedroom, two-bath. And the article said, we'll be at the very least 5000 a month. And I was like, 5000 a month for a three-bedroom in Park Slope? Like, where are you getting this from? I don't know of like any apartment in Park Slope that would be only 5000 a month for that, like that many bedrooms, unless they're all like tiny. So yeah, it was like, where did this come from? This is kind of an underestimation, I think. But they're kind of picking for the person the compromises. I think so too. Yeah. Whereas like in their head, probably they're not actually making that compromise. So it's a little bit misleading, but it's definitely a fun one. And they go through a lot of, I like seeing kind of how 
the lifestyles differ in cost because I think like Charlotte's lifestyle, the one who wants to rent in Park Slope, who wants to just like, you know, send her kid to Sty and, you know, do some artsy summer workshops for her kids. Her lifestyle was what, 177000 a year after a one-time payment of 19620 And I was like, you know what? This isn't bad. Like, what if I can't buy, then I will probably have her life. And it's not bad. It actually made me feel a little bit better where I was like, oh, okay, this is like, it's not a bad life. And it is so much more reasonable than, of course, the 700,000 per year, like 1 million, 2 million one-time payment ones. Right? No, it's true. What about your life in the future? Can I ask you, how did you pick the life? I think I picked wrong whenever I was doing mine. So I think my life, I've always been very much like planning my life 5, 10, 15 years out from the outset. Like when I was 18, I very much was like, okay, I'm going to go to college. My then boyfriend was going to go to college. Then I would go to Harvard for law school. And then he would go to MIT to get his master's or PhD. And when I graduate from law school, I'm going to get married. And then we're going to have two kids by the age of 30. So I think I just like always at any point in time have one singular idea of what my future should be. And as I've gotten older, the difficulty has been trying to expand beyond that and just be more open to different visions of my life. I think it's something I really, really struggle with, which makes, um, you know, living pretty hard, but it makes these kind of exercises extremely easy because I'm like, okay, well, this is the life I have just wanted for a while and there's no deviance from it, but it's a curse. Like I'll probably not hit it in some respects and then just like go into a spiral for a little bit and then have to talk to my therapist about how it's okay if things don't go exactly according to plan. Perfect. I think it'll be fine if things don't go exactly according to plan. I think I did a similar thing. I think I way overshot like discussing it more. I was kind of reading the article and I was like, oh, this is what these people want. And so whenever I was doing mine, I just put everything that I like wanted in like an ideal world where I like have unlimited money. And I think I should have cut back a little bit more on like this sort of optional expenses. Yeah. But that's kind of what they ask, right? Like what's your ideal life? Because this is the kind of exercise that when people ask you what your life looks like in five, 10 years, you don't go into it thinking actively about budgeting. Like that's a constraint. And I think it's fine to shoot for the moon. And if you fail, you land among the stars, right? The metaphorical financial constraint stars. Yeah. I think I will choose to land in another state or another country. <laughs> but <laughs> what? You're like, I have been in New York for all of a week, but I am already ready to leave and planning my exit. Well, no, I think that if I don't, when we go through it, I'll say the things that like are optional to me. But if I can't achieve the ones that are not optional to me, I think I would rather just have an easier life elsewhere because it's enough money to have like a perfectly nice life somewhere outside of New York. And I love New York, but if it's not going to work, then. Yeah, no, I totally feel that. And when people ask me like, oh, do you want to be in New York forever? And I'm like, yeah, if 
I can afford it? Because that's really always like the open question mark is I think I'm kind of similar to you, Hannah, where I'm like, I want it all or I just want nothing. I don't want to like settle for something that's a little like second best of my vision in New York when I don't know, like why? Why do that with your life? So I am totally with you on that one. Okay. Should we give like high level, let's do the shocking numbers first and then we can kind of go into the details. So my estimated life is $537,000 a year. And that is not including a one-time payment of probably around 1.2-1.5 million for my dream apartment. So uh, I am just as bad as Aaliyah and Audrey and Rachel. You didn't do tax or savings in your calculations, right? No, yeah, and they didn't do it in the article either. Okay. Yeah, they didn't account for that. So yeah, you don't have to do that now, but you should all save, guys. We should all save. And we should also, we need to make more than that for taxes. So mine is a steal, $376,000 a year plus a one time of about $750,000. That is so reasonable. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, how did you get this? Okay, wait. Okay, I guess this is now when we can talk about who's involved, how many kids, like, are you caring for anyone else? Like, I factored in $100,000 purely for a nanny. Yeah, that's what it would cost. <laughs> yeah, it would cost that. Yeah, it's then like between $60,000 and $100,000. And I was like, you know, probably by the time I have kids, $100,000 for a nanny will be like living wage for that nanny. And I want them to like have a living wage. Yeah, I don't think you want to underpay your nanny. I think that it's always best to be on the high end of the range for any of those types of expenses. Like they're literally raising your children. Yeah. And I thank them for it. Like they are doing God's work. Yeah. So I was kind of deciding which like life I wanted to do. And I just decided that I would do my life if I decided that I was like happy being single and just wanted to kind of take care of myself and never got married again. I do think that I want to get married again and have kids and stuff. But I think that like the life that would be the ideal life for me in New York in that circumstance just costs infinity. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, add kids, add husband, and then my life costs infinity. (laughs) Yeah, it was just, I was like, and it's, it would be so sort of hypothetical that it just seems silly. So I just did, like, if I decided, you know what, I'm going to just just be me. I love that. No, I think, I think, especially for you, because you've been like a serial monogamist, it is so important to be like, okay, if I had a life by myself, how much would it cost and what would it look like exactly? Mm -hmm. So do you want me to go? You sort of went, I can tell you. I think I would buy a one bedroom pre-war co-op in the West Village. The pre-war, always the pre-war. Especially like, I would be so... The neighborhoods I like are pre-war neighborhoods. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would feel very silly living in a new construction building in the West Village because the West Village isn't for new construction. I just feel like such a goofball. Whereas, like, if you want to be in West Chelsea or in parts of Brooklyn, like, that's what the architecture there is. So then, then that's fine. So I think it would be, I was looking, it would be about $1.6 million dollars plus a renovation that you would need to pay cash for the renovation. So I figured that was like a down payment plus renovation budget of about 750. And then the mortgage and co-op fees would be about $12,000 a month. I budgeted $2,000 a month for insurance, groceries, utilities. And then 
I only get Botox. I actually haven't gotten Botox in almost two years, but I don't aspire to get it more than once a year. So that'll be 1200 bucks a year. Do my hair six times a year at 550 per appointment. Nails, 150 a month. Waxing, $100 a month. And I want to go to Barry's Boot Camp a lot, which is $900 per month. And then this is where I got to. And the reason I would want to buy instead of rent is because I'm thinking like if I'm on my own and an old lady, I want to own my apartment. I'm not going to get anything that's rent controlled. And I don't want the stress as like a 70 year old of my rent going up where I'm like, I can't afford this anymore. Whereas if you've purchased something, like you only have to pay the maintenance fees after your mortgage is finished. So that was my, like, I'm really happy in my rental now, but that's my reason I would want to buy. And then this is where my expenses got kind of crazy, where I actually think I could really cut this down if I wanted to. But what I'd want to do is take two big trips out of the country per year. So I budgeted $50,000 for that. It's like 10 grand for business class flights because I want to fly business for two trips. And then I think for just me, I can spend $20,000 and go on like each trip and go on like really, really, really nice trips. That would be a really nice trip. So, (laughs) and then domestic travel, I put $25,000. I just would not, in like my ideal life, I just wouldn't want to sort of worry about it. And I think that would be easy if my friends said like, oh, let's do this, do this. Like dinner's out. I put $15,000 a year, like a little over $1,000 a month. Um, That might be a little low depending on like the social circle and stuff. Yeah. I go out a lot. Me too. I think that's like the single biggest expense that if you were trying to cut down, those should go first. And I actually, I'm friends with someone who lives a very austere life in Brooklyn, where most of the time, like he gets food from off the streets. And he mostly yeah, he's like kind of a dumpster diving, not like in the gross part of dumpsters, but New York actually has a pretty thriving like dumpster diving culture where you go to certain locations and you know, bakeries, grocery stores, they throw out perfectly fine food. It's just not like saleable in their store anymore. But he mostly gets a lot of his food from there. And A lot of the books he reads are just like from off the streets. And it's honestly like a beautiful thing to see that he can do that and makes me realize how excessive sometimes just like going out to restaurants all the time in New York is. But then again, I'm like, you know, I feel like I've already paid the upfront cost to live in New York so that I can go to these restaurants. So why don't I go to these restaurants? I'm kind of like of two minds on dining out, but like, I love it. I do it all the time. I don't think I'll probably stop unless something happens hugely with my finances. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can't, I understand that it's inspiring, comforting to see people who make those choices. But to me, I think those people just have different things that they value than I do. And to me, it's like, I would not, I can cut down on dining out because it's like, not that healthy. And a lot of the time I'll go to dinner just by myself and it's like, why are you doing this? And so I could certainly cut back on that. But like going to dinners with my friends and trying restaurants and stuff is a lot of what makes it fun. And I also think, especially as freelancers, there's no reason to live in New York. And so if I'm going to live here, I want to take advantage of the things that are here. And a lot of that is restaurants and stuff. 
Yeah. My other big expense was that I gave myself an ideal $100,000 a year uh, shopping budget. (laughs) I love that. Live your best life. That's a great shopping budget. (laughs) Yeah. I always kind of view living in New York as like paying for a members club, right? And then if you pay for the members club, then you should actually do the members activities, even if they do cost money, because also why then pay for the membership in the first place? And I think that kind of helped me come to terms with the fact that, yeah, I don't have to live in New York, especially right now, but I like it and it like makes me feel motivated. Yeah. Okay. So to make you feel a little bit less ridiculous about your costs, I also have some pretty like weird out there, probably unnecessary costs as well. So my apartment, I want a four to five bedroom in a new building, renovated gym and amenities in building. So I think that'll probably be around four to five million in Brooklyn. I want it kind of in a good school district. So I kind of do love Park Slope, Brooklyn Heights, Borum Hill, Fort Greene. In terms of like monthly recurring costs for like workouts, yeah, I'm a huge like workout person. My yoga studio is like $250 a month for a membership. And then I would love to do like Soul Cycle or Pilates Reformer or Berries like once a week. I think I do too little cardio and I should probably do more. So I want to be able to do that. And I think they're like, what, $36, $40 a class nowadays? I don't know if they just went up, but they were $36 last year when I was here and now they're 40 But if you buy a package, you can get them down to 36 and the packages last a year. So you can still have it be 36 a week if you take one a week. Great. Great. Yeah. So, you know, these weekly like special non-yoga classes, I put nails, I do it once every two to three weeks. My nail place, it's like $50 for a manicure and $100 for a mani-pedi, I want to say. Hair. Okay. I'm shocked that you go six times a year. I go two times a year, probably because I hate sitting there for seven hours. Like each one of my hair sessions is like five to seven hours. Yeah. I don't know that I really make it six times a year, but in my mind, I go every other month, but it doesn't usually take that long. I'll let you know. I have a hair appointment on Friday, but I usually am there for like two and a half hours. Oh, that's not bad. No. Yeah. I think it's the, you know, the dark hair issues where like the bleach just takes forever to do all of that. So I cannot go more than two times a year. I also don't usually, I have a lot of highlights in my hair and my hair washes out. I don't usually get any more highlights or if I do maybe just around my face mm. usually I'm just getting like a sort of I don't know if it's like a single process or a toner or what it is yeah and I usually get mostly like all over dye. yeah oh I like that yeah it's a lot I mean it's faster it's probably better for your hair again Asian hair dark hair woes and then this is the part where I'm like okay do I need this all the time no but I'll I love it so I love laser treatments for skin and a skin laundry membership is 350 a month or if I go to my dermatologist it's like $800 for a dermatologist appointment I would love to be able to just like to go to my dermatologist all the time but I do think like 800 every session does get to be a lot. And then in travel, I would like to do, you know, three to four international trips per year. And for just me and Nathaniel, I think it tends to be like five to 10,000 per trip. Adding in kids, that's the part that I'm nervous about. I think it'll probably get then to like 20,000 to 30,000 per trip with everything. And that will get crazy expensive. And then of course, all the kids costs like the nanny, music, sports activities, camps, And then I added in just like a slush fund. I looked at this article's, what they said some of the slush funds were. And they were like, oh, you know, 4,000 for a family of four. And I was like, okay, I'll just put that in. And that came out to, yeah, a little over 500,000 a year. 
amazing. I know. Do you think we're going to do it? Do you think we're going to make it happen? Yeah. I mean, I know where I can cut back. Like I don't really need to spend a hundred grand a year shopping. No, no, (laughs) no, I don't know. I mean, feels like I need to, but I think we can do it. I do think it's so crazy how expensive New York has gotten with inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Even Chipotle, right? Now it's like $18 for a burrito bowl. And I'm like, okay, I'm not even... $18. I went to San Ambrose the other night and it was the same price as American Bar. And I was like, why am I going to American Bar? And I like American Bar, but I was like, this is a legitimately fancy restaurant. I know. I know. It's inflation, costs, everyone... Everything's just getting more expensive. It's not, I don't know, maybe we'll see a period of deflation. But I was like, this was not a good time to not have a job, really. But then also, when is there a good time to not have a job? Right. Never. And actually, in a way, I would say the silver lining of no job slash freelancing is that you kind of always have a backup plan and you're always kind of ready to maneuver and stuff. And I think that it's very... Scary, just, and this is from my own experience as like a kid and stuff. I'm not trying to be condescending to people who are in that position, but I think it's very scary whenever you know you're in an industry where there might be layoffs or something and you haven't planned for that. Whereas we've kind of always planned for it. Yeah, totally. And I think, especially, I mean, I think Facebook or meta legal, they had layoffs recently. And I think law, especially you go into it thinking you'll never get laid off because you go into it thinking that you're risk averse, that everything's going to be okay. So when it happens, it hits people so much harder. And I do think the best thing about having stepped back from that environment is getting more comfortable, like you said, with the fact that things can change all the time. And it wasn't like things couldn't change all the time when I was working a W-2 job. It was just like I was much more blind to it and a lot more like in denial. So it would have hit a lot harder for sure. Yeah, exactly. So I think we'll be fine. And I also think like some of the stuff you don't need, you know, that is true. I don't, do I really need gym and amenities and building? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think, do you need five bedrooms? Oh, probably not. I just like, I always don't want to make kids share. And then I like the idea of a guest room, but I know like those are kind of extraneous as well. I like the idea of a separate office, but all those, like you said, I like the idea of, but people raise their kids in like one bedrooms, two bedrooms all the time and they like make it work. So totally. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks guys for listening to us just talk about how much our lifestyles in the future would cost. If you enjoy this episode, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And we will be back next week with something else New York related. Adios. Have a good week, guys.